Welcome to Ghostly Activities. I'm your guide, Jake Bryce, and on today's episode, I'll tell you about 10 things I've learned about ghost hunting. And first and foremost, I can't believe it's been over 16 years. 16 years ago, I started ghost hunting. That's a lot of time of pursuing barely audible whispers and shadowy figures and blinking lights on gizmos. I've sunk thousands of dollars into gadgets and travel in pursuit of dead people. <laughs> and in retrospect, I mean, I do things differently. So with that said, here's 10 things I've learned about ghost hunting, and I hope you find them useful. If not, well, you can roast me in the comments. I've got a thick skin and IP banning functionality. So, <laughs> so number one, first things first, it's a hobby. So many of us, me included, and when I say us, I'm talking ghost hunters, we become obsessed with paranormal investigations when we plan our lives around the next hunt, getting the next gadget, taking your next trip to Waverly or whatever big ghost, ghosty location you're looking at. And this stuff costs a lot of money. And at some point, you have to decide if the investment is worth it. Personally, I've dropped tens of thousands of dollars on travel, custom investigations, and gadgets. And did I get any more evidence than I would normally? Not really. Or probably not. Did I become a famous in-demand celebrity paranormal investigator? Nope. Not at all. So at some point, you have to make the calculation on the money earned versus the money spent on ghosty things. And to me, it's the value of a hobby not a side hustle or a full-time job. Now, would I do it over? Oh, sure. And this was the hardest thing for me to realize. Ghost hunting, while it's aspirational, you know, for people that watch the shows and see Amy Bruni and Jason Hawes and Zach Bagans going across the country to all these fabulous haunts, well, ghost hunting doesn't pay the bills unless you own your own tour company you're a star on a show and it really doesn't pay that much or you sell books on the subject. And, you know, if you do own the business or your tour guide, I mean, it's not it's not high paying whatsoever. So if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't spend so much on it. I mean, really, if you can't pay the rent or mortgage by doing it, you probably should invest your time in other places. Now, my gadget addiction, which I fess up, I've got one. <laughs> that's my personal paranormal demon um, but I have cut back even though I did buy the little belly thing that came up from Ghost Stop recently I just couldn't help myself by the way I'll have a review of that it's trash but seriously only a tenth of percent of ghost hunters can do this for a living so keep your day job and ghost hunt on the weekends so next up number two if you will most gadgets are utter bullshit <laughs> and I'll be real with you, most of the stuff is cheaply made, it malfunctions often, and you can never prove a ghost is standing right in front of you with them. In fact, most of it's so sensitive it's going to trigger off any little anomaly, if I could talk, right? Anomaly. And they go off so often, it tells you that anything could be a ghost, so why bother? And would I do it over again? So this was the second hardest thing for me to realize. Uh, gadgets aren't really made for ghost hunting, you know? 
Uh, and the other thing is you don't need as many as you think. I mean, I'm the big gadget guy. You, people say, oh, he's the tech guy or science guy. Eh, I, there's no science in this. <laughs> I need to, so for me, I need to scale back on what I need bring to ghost hunts. And to be frank, most of the gadgets made for ghost hunting, they just reinforce your confirmation bias. And that means any blip in an allegedly haunted place is a ghost. But it's not. Um, nowadays, I just bring my cameras and mics to the field and let others use the gadgets. And if you want my opinion as the ghosty guy, just get something that takes good video, records good audio, and provides something to engage with. You know, like a trigger object. Really, that's all you need. And I should remind myself to make my therapy appointment for my gadget addiction. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> Next up, make it fun. Now, paranormal investigators need to lighten up. So don't forget, this is a wondrous opportunity to speak to ghosts. This is a chance of a lifetime to capture a ghost, capture a ghost on film, record a creepy voice. Each experiment you run can lead to a magical encounter. And I think too many people get freaked out or they get scared. I never do because I understand that a demon isn't coming for my soul and a poltergeist isn't going to throw a knife at me. The worst that could happen is you get a cold touch, maybe some nausea. Plus, it's a hobby. And if you're not having fun with your hobby, why are you doing it? Now, if I could do it over again, I wouldn't be so super serious about it. I used to be a very, very serious no bullshit kind of like a soldier <laughs> going out there on the ghost hunt and i've lightened up in my old age and you could think about it this way right if you go to a party and meet new people would you be so serious and standoffish and so that no one wants to hang out with you i mean ghosts were people too and once i stopped the professional buttoned up persona thing i got better results now don't get me wrong you need to be professional because if you have clients, this is what they'd expect. But what I'm saying is let the spirits know you're a real person. And you can do this work casual type of persona and get good evidence and capture those ghostly voices. Next up is conducting EVP sessions. This is a big change for me too. So many people ask the same questions over and over, really basic stuff. It's like, what's your name, age, height, weight, gender, social security number? It's like you're filling out an auto loan, loan you know, form. That's not communicating with the spirit. Now, if you do your research and you understand the haunted place, the people that live there, and perhaps why they want to stick around, and, you know, if you speak another language, like California, right? And a lot of Spanish speakers were living in California back in the day, still are today too, but it helps to know some Spanish if you want to talk to someone that might have originated in Mexico, you know? <laughs> I have had great results just by knowing a smattering of French, Norwegian, and Japanese, and we have apps to translate. But anyway, I guess really just you want to relate to the person when you're conducting an EVP session and be kind because no one wants to talk to a dick. Now, what would I do over? Well, this is the big change. I don't really ask direct questions anymore to the suspected ghost. I've had better results, just like with another ghost hunter and me talking about the history of the place, what we know about the people that lived there, 
you know, having a bit of fun, joshing around with each other, because ghosts were people too. And people get involved when there's a lively discussion. It's not an interrogation. Just pause from time to time to let an EVP come through. Keep it light, joke around, just have a good time and invite the spirit along with you on your conversation. Next up, mm, this is a sore subject here, folks. Nobody wants to debunk, so I'm going to bitch about this a little bit. I've seen ghost hunters ignore gadgets, obviously malfunctioning because it's a ghost. I'm putting that in air quotes, people. <laughs> they would look at me with death stares like how I could even question it. Mind you, I have the exact same gadgets. I've tested them. I know how they malfunction. And I've also seen folks flip out when they hear pipes or the HVAC system creaking like a door opening because it's a ghost. I've even seen people claim that they're getting a DVP when a meth head is outside, right outside the window, doing what meth heads do. And don't get me started on works. Okay. This is a chronic problem specifically to ghost hunting. No one wants their evidence challenged. It destroys the fantasy. People go to the haunts, they want to have their haunted experience. Damn it, they're going to have their haunted experience. I subscribe, I guess, too much to the Scooby-Doo method of ghost hunting, which means a lot of debunking. And, you know, nine times out of ten, probably more than that, it's really not a ghost. So, what would I do over? To be honest, I just, I stopped calling it out, to be frank. I mean, why bother? Now, I just find the humor in it. I still post all my evidence. You know, if you read ghostlyactivities.com, it all goes out there. Um, and I think that's probably the best advice for you, too. If you have something you can think holds up to scrutiny, go on. Put it out there. Develop a thick skin. The comments are going to hurt from time to time. And in those cases, you can reply with, show me your evidence. I have done this. I've actually had readers of Ghostly Activities go after folks on the YouTube because they're like, where's your evidence? Because 19 times out of 20, the commenters got jack shit to show. So, but I'm, I'm on that one. You get evidence, put it out there. Put it out there. Next up, fear living humans, not dead ones. <laughs> oh, this is so true. You will have more problems with living people versus ghosts, spirits, poltergeists, dark entities, and demons. Full stop. Say that again. If you think a demon is after you, then you need to spend more time with druggies, petty criminals, and conmen, because the dead ain't got nothing on them. Be wary of any invite to investigate a haunt, especially a private residence or an abandoned building. That gets shady fast. So, would I do it over? Well, this is one I don't need to because I stopped investigating private residences. I haven't done it in a long time. I've got a separate, you know what? I could do a separate episode on why I stopped private residence investigations. So, next up, another subject I like to hack on a little bit. <laughs> reality ghost hunting shows are not reality. And I think we already knew this, eh? So these shows, they're constructed entertainment, which means they have to deliver jump scare spookiness, some thrilling encounters with the unknown. Plus, the editing slices out pretty much 90% of everything that happened at the ghost hunt. You only get to see the best bits. 
over like a 72-hour period. And I'll fess up, I got into ghost hunting because I liked watching the show, so way back in 2007 to 2009 with my BFF Celine. And there's nothing wrong with starting a hobby because you watch a show, I mean. I got really motivated to do baking, yes I bake, by watching like the Halloween Baking Championship or Challenge, I can't remember what it is. Watching that, I'm like, damn, I want to whip up a cake. Mind you, I'm not going to try to do it as advanced as that. But anyway, just keep in mind that it's it's on TV for a reason. Some liberties are taken. So would I do it over again? Not much to do over on this part. I probably wouldn't believe every place is haunted or put much faith in what I see on TV, especially for these shows. I think that's pretty much common sense. And I really love paranormal TV. And it's one reason I became a documentarian, right? If you read Ghostly Activities, I put my little documentaries out there and everything. But when you know how to produce them and you're watching the shows, like, you, you know when something is set up. You know how the edit was used to shape things. Um... When I watch them now, I just look for physical evidence and any new gadgets. Like I said, I'm a gadget addict. But, you know, the gadgets are bullshit. <laughs> and for the most part, ghost hunting is the ghost hunting you see on the shows. It's, I would say for the most part, it's real ghost hunting. And then the editor gets the footage and, well, then production happens. <laughs> Here's another one I had to learn the hard way. And this is one I really want you to take to heart. And that is vet the people for your team or vet the team you want to join. And you, you have to be wary about whom you're going to let on your team and take to ghost hunts, especially if you don't know them well. I only let friends join me now. No co-workers, no acquaintances. I, I have to know you well. And it's not that I'm thinking these strangers are going to roll me or anything like that. It's just, for one thing, I want to be comfortable when I'm doing the ghost hunting. You know, taking care of the paranormal business. And you never really know what you're going to get with a person if you don't know them. Like, are they scared of their own shadow? Eh, you got you to vet. You know, you got to bring... If, if you do want to bring someone, you have to take them on some dry runs. And I think you really have to do some extensive training. Now, as for joining a team, and I'm going to be very adamant about this one, look first at how many members they have. If it's more than six, that's a lot of people. Their ghost hunting adventures are going to be more like paranormal tourism, like if you go on one of those ghost walks or you want to do one of those touristy, you know, ghost hunting expedition tour type things. Because you can't really investigate with 20 people running around. And if there's that many people, there's a lot of contamination. I mean, I wouldn't call it a serious ghost hunt. So, would I do it over again? I have fallen victim to this one, folks. So, I, I pay attention to my BS meter. If you're going to join a team, especially if they're going to ch charge dues, you know, if you have to pay to be a member, then that's a professional outfit, okay? And that means whoever's managing it needs to give an accounting of where the money goes. It should be a nonprofit, so all the money that's collected should go directly back into the team. And there should be a paper trail of that. Another thing is, if you're paying, then you know what? Everyone should pull their resources to buy gear. If there's trips, it should be the money that was given for it. 
you know, subsidizes the costs at least for everyone. Blah, blah, blah. I can go on and on about it. And the other thing is if there's merch and you have to buy your own merch, that's a dead giveaway. It's a fucking scam. There's my language. So if management cannot give you that accounting, just go. You're getting scammed. I guess there's not much more to say about it. All right. Next up. You know, there's nothing wrong with solo investigations. Now, the, the caveat to that is you'd want it to be a public place like a museum or a business or something. I wouldn't say private residences and solo investigations are a good idea. There's some drawbacks to it, and that deals with you have to plan out your investigation in greater detail. You have to stick to a schedule because you got to go around to the different haunts, right? But it's just as rewarding. Evidence is evidence. What's nice is you don't have to worry so much about contamination from untrained investigators or 20 people running around the place. Um, but the big thing is you have to do everything yourself, which means you need some discipline and you need to review all your evidence because no one else is going to do it for you. Okay. And if I would do it over again, this is something I would have gone back to sooner in my ghost hunting career. I started off as a solo ghost hunter. I extended the invite to my BFF after we did a marathon <laughs> watching a binging of ghost hunters. This is like back in 2007. And we were the ghostly activities duo for the longest time until I moved to the West Coast for a job with my other half. This was perfect for us, having just the two of us. I was Scully. She was Mulder. And, you know, we had a lot of fun. Got great evidence. And I would go back to that. Uh, my next bit, uh, this might take a little more explaining, is to start a ghost club versus a ghost hunting team. And clubs are much more fun. For one thing, clubs have far less pressure. <laughs> it's There's no fees. It's just a group of friends getting together to talk about the shows, uh, you know, look into some gear. You could still ghost hunt and everything, but I would say... You don't have any pressure to get into never investigated locations. You don't have the, have to have the latest gadgets. The whole money management part of it's not there because there are no requirements to be club uh, in a club other than you're like an enthusiast. You're a fan. You, you really like paranormal stuff. You don't have to be the biggest dick in the paranormal world. <laughs> so sit back, talk shit, eat chips and plan nothing more than a casual trip to a ghost conference, as I like to say. There are no applications involved, no vetting because the club members are your friends. And I really think this is the ideal situation, and it is for me. So would I do it over again? Because I did have a formal ghostly activities team, and I was a member of a big team out here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and I got to tell you, there's nothing to do over now. It's, it's when I talk about ghostly activities now, this is what I'm doing. I just have folks that like to do spooky things, go to paranormal events. Um, we just chill, hang out, read ghost stories, make paranormal podcasts, right? Watch the shows, call out bullshit when we see it. And the one thing, though, is since I'm more on the documentarian tip now, I still go out. I still film stuff. I, I really like filming weird stuff. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. The paranormal is pretty weird. It's just, I put my money into my 401k now, you know. So with a club, the financial burden, I think, is a bit different. And 
One of the other things, this is perfectly fine, just this is my one last thing, is your interests will change in the paranormal over time, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. For me, you know, I've gone from ghosts, serious ghost hunter, to an enthusiast now. Uh, and my interest in cryptozoology, you know, monsters, has really incre increased. Now, ghosts, you could say, fall under monsters. But I'm, I'm looking to explore that a bit more now. now. For one thing, what I like about it is it's a different type of evidence because with cryptozoology or monster hunting, it, there's a lot more physical evidence, I would say. Because if the creatures are real, there's DNA. <laughs> so I'm going to start doing monster hunting a bit more. And I, I might make a club for it. I might be solo monster hunter too. I've got another website, ghostandmonsters.com, that covers a lot of that stuff. But like I said, I'm not going to give up documenting ghostly activity because I love a paranormal production. And I know how to make them. So why not? If you can make the show you want to watch, do it. And I think I'm going to do that. All right, kids. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I promise this time now work has slowed down. I'm not editing documentaries as much. I can get back to the podcasting thing and working more on my blog, which is my first love, um, blogging and podcasting. So thank you for tuning in. I will have more for you soon. I will probably do that advice for the solo ghost hunter episode next. And with that, have a lovely evening.